Hello, this is Digital Accessibility, the people behind the progress. I'm Joe Walensky, the creator and host of this series. And as an accessibility professional myself, I find it very interesting as to how others have found their way into this profession. So let's meet one of those people right now and hear about their journey. Well, hello, let's get started with this interview. And uh, for this one, I am pleased to be joined by Matthew Luke. And hello, Matthew, how are you doing today? Good, how are you? Yeah, everything's going pretty well. And uh, it's a nice summer day in the area where I am, which is a home office uh, in Vashon Island, Washington, near the Blink Seattle headquarters. Uh, where are you talking to us from? Today from Minneapolis, Minnesota. Well, I really appreciate you uh, taking the time to chat with me a little bit. And, uh, you know, this series is all about uh, meeting people that are uh, doing a lot of work to move uh, accessibility forward in their work and in, in the communities. So um, I appreciate the opportunity to talk to you. But before we get started, why don't you just talk a little bit about uh, you know, what you're up to today? So today we are up to a whole bunch of different uh, aspects of maturity model where we are you know, growing the team and hiring. So there's a lot of educating our new team members, making sure they understand the process, that we're doing it consistently, but also trying to figure out and educating people across different spectrums, whether it be students uh, in college settings or whether it's within the place that I currently work you know, trying to get people to understand the intersectionality between what we need to do, what we should be doing, how we can bring it to life, but most importantly, how it is an iterative process. You can't get from zero to 100% in a moment, but rather, what is the best way to get there as quickly as you can? And some days we spend time holding people's hands because they feel like something is going to go into production that's not as good as it should be that's okay right that's what backlogs are for um but also maybe you know trying to get people to understand how do you strategically engage a product owner in conversation to take three steps instead of trying to do it in six steps or trying to take too much and try to do it in two steps so a lot of our day every day is educating mentoring helping people understand and most importantly coaching i, I appreciate you uh using that uh iteration uh term i use that uh, a lot myself uh you know as new people come into the accessibility area a lot of times they get overwhelmed because there is a lot of information if you just google that and and then or suddenly looked at the WCAG and it's like wow they're you know, where do I even start? And, you know, I like to tell people that you just start wherever you can start and build on that. And you've already made progress just by whatever your starting point is. Exactly. And, and, you know, I teach college too. And one of the things that I tell people is that, you know, like whether it's user experience or accessibility specifically or both is that, you know, everyone is used to this um, methodology growing up that, you take the reverse pyramid approach, right? We teach you a simple thing, like maybe addition, then you learn subtraction, then multiplication and division, 
right? You build upon it and you need the skills from the previous thing. So we get so conditioned to learning that way. And then when you come into accessibility, it's like, okay, we're building a pyramid, but we're not gonna have a strong foundation because there's too much going on. So you have to understand contextually that we're gonna add pieces here and then pieces there and a little piece here. And maybe it's in the middle of the pyramid, maybe it's near the top and then eventually it fills in. And so now our understanding over time takes the shape of that pyramid, right? And because it's so spotty, it, it becomes very, very difficult. And when we think about user experience in general and trying to understand that, there's no path, right? There's so many different ways to get into UX. You can have different types of backgrounds and education and change professions, but all of it stems from passion and empathy and understanding the user's experience, whether they are able-bodied, disabled, whether they're blind, whether they're sighted, it doesn't matter. It's about understanding how to build that experience. And now when we start thinking about those different pieces and how they fill in that shape, it now makes it easier to understand that I am feeling overwhelmed and it makes sense why I'm feeling overwhelmed because it's little bits and pieces and it eventually starts to come out of the mist and we start to see it and we start to understand it. But then we have to apply the empathy because the people we're working with are going through the exact same problem. They have little pieces of information and now we have to help get their vision clearer so they can see the same thing we're seeing. So it's hugely important for people to understand that it takes a while, right? It's a journey. It's not, it's not a one and done type of thing. And the journey is uh, the, the theme of uh, this series is finding out those uh, starting points and the building blocks uh, that, that get us to uh, where we're at. So maybe why don't we move back, you know, back in time to wherever you think is a, is a good spot and maybe, uh, you know, talk about some highlights uh, from your career that maybe started to, you know, move you into the things that you do today. Sure. So I, you know, all my background in, in education post high school was around aviation. And so as I, you know, learned computer science in general with aviation applications and then worked into my career, it was always aviation based and worked for the FAA and then worked for um, Northwest Airlines, which was then acquired by Delta Airlines. All of that was my background. But because I was always inquisitive and always challenging and trying to tinker with things like how can we optimize something? And at the time, of course, this was called you know, like um, system engineering and performance enhancement and many, many other names. Um, it eventually became to be understood as user experience. So as we started looking at as a company in you know, the, the age of the personal computer and, and the internet, we started looking at, well, how can we take these really manual processes and how can we apply digital to them and make them simpler? But then what we started to see was people were getting confused by the way we designed it. So how can we make it simpler for people with uh, English as a second language, for example, because the airline operated around the world? So how do we start thinking about the user there and the simplification of adding automation to be able to skip steps and, and pull data where possible and pre-filling fields and then on and on and on. And then eventually moving beyond the airlines just into pure digital. And so I started becoming a user experience designer, started teaching college 
uh, doing it at the same time, so a second gig. Of course, Glutton for Punishment started a third gig to start my own web firm. And we did that for a very specific reason, which was what we found in uh, college was that in digital and web development and web design, that students get a degree in it. But what you need to get in the door is millions of other things that are not taught to you in school. So how do we help get students really ready and make their education valuable? They have to go way above and beyond the textbook and way beyond just what we're teaching them from a degree curriculum. So we set up a web firm that basically is an apprenticeship. You know, come work with us. We'll take a model where we'll sell a cheaper price point to smaller businesses that want websites with the understanding that we're educating students. So it takes a little bit longer, right? But we'll guarantee it's quality and they benefit because they're helping people learn and we're helping them learn and they can use it in their portfolio. And over our career, we had over 65 different people in the Minneapolis area take us up on that and learn how to run this. And then as I continue on uh, in my career, ended up working for over 275 different brands, um, trying to come in and optimize their teams or bring them to a different place of, of operating from a user experience perspective or a digital team or shop perspective. And eventually, all of a sudden, uh, there was an opportunity where it was thrust upon me to run an accessibility, dedicated accessibility team. So quickly morphing to, okay, what do I need to know that's slightly different about just pure accessibility than user experience? And how do we educate designers, right, to be inclusive designers and not wait till you get a defect in development? Like, what can we do to influence the design so that it is more accessible going into development, which will lessen the burden on the developer, but also lessen the defects going into production. And that's what we're currently doing. And uh, just going back uh, to your uh, experience in the uh, 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 aeronautical uh, industry, uh, did had that been uh, where had you had accessibility exposure at that time? Because I'm kind of interested. Actually, you know, I did. And how that worked <laughs> in that industry, uh, you know, it's one that yeah. I'm not familiar with that well. Yeah, so uh, Northwest Airlines was the, one of the first airlines to actually have a self-service kiosk concept. And I was actually on that project. And so as you think about not only have the digital interface, but you also have the physical piece to it. So what we see with, with kiosks is, you know, we start thinking about kiosks were starting to come about for self-service at the same time that the internet and web is starting to become proficient, people start having their own personal computers. So we start seeing this concept that people can do things for themselves, like ordering products and, and uh, you know, interacting in a digital way. So there was a fear of put, introducing this kiosk. Would people actually use it, right? They're so used to going to an agent. Would they actually go and want to be self-service? and go touch this device to do this and check in and, and potentially do their bags or change the sheets or whatever. You know, how much can we introduce to it and how do we do that? And then we start thinking about like um, software development design and service design and MVP products. Like 
if we introduce just the check-in, is it robust enough that they'd use it, or do we need to do other things in it? And how much is too much, right? If we invested too much effort into putting all these bells and whistles into it, right? Where's that sweet balance? So what we launched was the ability to check in, the ability to change your seat, your ability to maybe request a wheelchair and launch with that. And then now what we see is so much more, right? 20 years later, we're seeing customers can now uh, check in, print a boarding pass, print a bag tag, attach it to their own bag and drop it on the conveyor belt. No one would have believed the consumer would actually want to do this and prefer to do it than having someone else do it for them. So all of this, you know, starts thinking about accessibility and thinking about how do we have cognitive load and how do we deal with English as a second language and what can we communicate through icons and imagery versus actual text and words so it's not too heavy. So we started having to think about all of those things as digital started to grow. And then we just see that naturally transition into what we know today. Well, I, I know over a lot of things in the airline industry, uh, there's things that are regulated, things have to be done in a certain way. Is the work that you were doing with accessibility with Northwest at the time, was, was that kind of homegrown things you were doing for, you know, specifically for your customers? Or did you have peers and colleagues in in that industry that we're sharing ideas about how to move forward? Both, really both, right? You know, Delta Airlines and, and Northwest Airlines at the time were very employee-centric, right? So we worked with employees that had different abilities and disabilities as part of our mechanism, and mostly because it was a cost-effective way to do so, right? Rather than trying to uh, bring in external customers, pay them for their time. We had employees that were already paying who wanted to help, right? So we were starting to leverage that passion and, and compassion that we had generated within our own company to help us move the needle and move it to the direction that we needed to. And uh, for the things that uh, you're involved in now, are there any uh, new passion projects that you're able to talk about or are things uh, you know, that you're hoping to see happen uh, in your area moving in, in the future? So my current passion project is, you know, from a college perspective, you know, I am still teaching college, and so like 15 years at this point. And it's really around, you know, how, how can you learn about user experience or accessibility and get into the work environment in, in in a way that is not breaking the bank, right? That that something that industry will accept, right? So the concept of certificates and boot camps and all these other things are in the marketplace, right? And they probably will continue to be in the marketplace. There is no true degree, uh, undergraduate degree in user experience. There are graduate degrees, but really it's masking the name they're really like human factors degrees or psychology degrees that have a label of user experience behind them um, so trying to figure out the best way to do that and how do we get people into industry there's a huge shortage in many fields you know nursing medical pilots user experience is just one more of them as we think about how we need to shift and morph and fix all of these digital products that we have made in the past 
into something that is keeping current with technology, with different abilities, we need more and more people. So how can we bring people from other disciplines or other backgrounds and get them into the digital space? And can they do it in such a way that it's cost effective, it's quick, it's timely, industry will bring them on board, but also embedded in accessibility. How can they do it well, inclusively, and not have to go and invest company money to go fix it later when we realize it's not right? So I'm very passionate about how can we educate the next community because it's very community-based in what we do. Well, yeah, I'm not sure how things are, you know, organized, uh, you know, you know, where you're working now, but it, uh, in different organizations, it, it's, it's some, some larger organizations have a, a broader uh, accessibility support group that, that helps, uh, you know, establish it in different departments and divisions. And, and then a lot of other organizations, it's just because a particular department or division he has an evangelist, you know, who makes it happen for what they're doing. Uh, uh, I was just wondering, you know, kind of in your experience, uh, what experiences you've had in that and, uh, uh, you know, what you think is uh, kind of the best way for organizations to move forward. Well, I've seen lots of iterations and lots of different models. Um, but what I try to stress to people is that they need to really, really understand that where things start and where they move to and end up is something that will happen, right? If they think that, you know, putting accessibility in one particular department or team and that it's going to remain there forever, that doesn't make sense, right? User experience and accessibility go hand in hand. So in some time, in some cases, it makes sense to put it within design. And there's also the facet of the build, right? So do you put it in development, right? Do you move it in IT? Do you have a company that has consumer-facing products as well as employees, right? Do you put it in DEI or do you put it in the HR department? The answer is always going to be, it's going to depend and it's always going to change. And this is what leaders need to understand is it will change. So don't get hung up on where you start or where it goes, but rather understanding that it needs to organically go where it needs to go, which is not something US-based companies are very adept at, right? They don't understand true homogeneous or uh, organizationally agnostic working teams. They think about everything as funding and where something sits within a chart. And accessibility is not something that sits in a chart. Everybody does it. Everybody needs to do it. Everybody has to do it all the time. So with that, it's a true enterprise solution. So where do you put that? Well, I, <laughs> there's nowhere to, right? Because there's no true enterprise organizations uh, across that type of structure. So it has to be something different and thought about as different. Yeah, you know, I, I, yeah, I appreciate your sentiments in that area. I mean, in, in my own work, uh, you know, one of the things that's a philosophy item for me is to not be the gatekeeper, not be the, I, I'm there as a mentor, as a resource, uh, as an evangelist to move things forward, uh, hopefully as a leader, uh, as you were talking about, but uh, 
uh, whenever things start to suddenly on uh, a project start to be only funneled through me, I, I, that's why I always want to have a conversation and identify mm -hmm. where everybody can bring it into their own practice. Yeah, just like the organizational problem, right? There's also the carrot and stick philosophy. Some uh, companies, right, they have audit and compliance and risk and legal and things like that, the stick team. And then they have the care team, the team that is trying to cajole people to do things, right? So HR and, and managers of people and things like that. Accessibility is both those things. You have to be the carrot and the stick at the same time. So a little bit of Schrodinger's box. It's like, it's all and it's nothing. So how do you think about that? And it's very difficult to explain to leaders. So like my job morphs every moment of every day and often within the same conversation. Because sometimes I have to be the, the, the hard nose to say no. At the same time, I have to cajole them to do the right thing. I have to be a passion driver and convince people to be passionate about something that they don't want to. And then I've got to tame the expectations of the people that want to be overly passionate. And it's like, okay, how do, we, how do we bring this into in the middle? So yeah, it's very, very interesting profession to be in. Well, I appreciate you taking a few minutes to uh, chat with us about your experiences and your ideas about things. And uh, uh, hopefully uh, we'll be able to meet up when uh, things start to come out of the pandemic at a, at a conference or something like that. My pleasure. Right, thanks a lot, Matthew. Bye-bye. Hi, I'm Joe Walensky, and as host of the Digital Accessibility Program, I like to keep the focus on our amazing guests. But I'm always excited about my role as Accessibility Director at Blink, the producer of this program, and I'd like to share that with you. Blink is the world's leader in evidence-driven design, and we work with a wide variety of clients. Founded in Seattle, we also have offices in Boston, New York, Austin, San Diego, and San Francisco. Our stated mission is to make technology human. Embracing inclusive design and accessibility brings all of us closer to that mission. We bring accessibility in every one of our projects. Our philosophy is that each of our practitioners should understand how accessibility applies to their own work. Accessibility is not a separate department or activity for us. Our researchers, designers, and developers all employ accessibility principles at every stage. If you have a need for research and design services, Blink is a partner with a full-time commitment to making your product or service accessible and a great experience for all of your customers. Some of the specific areas where we can help, using research to better understand the needs of your customers with disabilities, innovating to make sure your accessibility is the best in class design, we can move existing designs to development in a sprint. And maybe most importantly, we provide a turnkey transformation to an accessible site or app. Of course, compliance status is something that we always include as part of the service. If any of this is of interest, please get in touch with me directly at joe at blinkux.com. That's J-O-E at B-L-I-N-K-U-X.com. Thank you. And please take a moment to rate our program in whatever app you use.